Hello and welcome to the Disabled But Enabled podcast. This podcast seeks to celebrate and encourage sickle cell warriors and also their loved ones who fight alongside them. Each week, we talk about the realities of living with sickle cell disease. We aim to bring hope and leave you with at least one reason to carry on on this journey called life. I am your host, Tutu Emmanuel. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. On this podcast, I'd like to talk to you about my journey on embracing the sickle me. As most of you know by now, I suffer from sickle cell anemia. In the previous episode, I attempted to give a brief description of what a crisis pain feels like. Please feel free to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already done so. Sickle cell crisis can be excruciatingly painful, but just as bad as the pain, if not worse, is the embarrassment and shame that comes along with it. A crisis can decide to show up at any time of the day. It could be in the middle of the night where you have just about enough strength to call for an ambulance. And when the paramedics turns up, you are in your nightwear. You can imagine the level of embarrassment if it's one of those nights you decide to go to bed in that old but comfy nightwear that you would rather nobody else sees you in. A crisis could show up right in the middle of the shopping center with total strangers all around and cripples you to the ground. You're there crying like a baby and praying none of these strangers recognize you or that your paths never cross again because you're just too ashamed to look anyone in the eye. I've had a crisis show up the night before a major exam and watched months of exam preparation go down the drain as I was unable to take the exam. There was absolutely nothing I could do but cry. One of the many occasions I couldn't honestly tell you which was worse, the pain from the crisis or the pain from knowing that all that exam effort has just gone down the drain. There's also the embarrassment of cancelling last-minute plans with friends. You spend all these days, sometimes months, planning the perfect night out with friends. And the night before, or just a few hours before it's time to go and have fun, crisis shows up and says to you, Darling, you're going nowhere tonight. You don't have to make that call in pain to give your apologies and last-minute cancellation. I'm sorry I can't make it, you say. I'm in pain. Before you finish the sentence sometimes, the sentence is finished for you. There are days you know the response is genuine. And there are days the sarcasm and the response is so real, you can physically feel it hit you hard on the face. This, among many others, are the kind of challenges sickle cell warriors constantly have to deal with in addition to the painful crisis. And this is exactly why for many years, I really hated the sequel to me. I pushed myself to do things I had no business doing, even when they could trigger a crisis. I lived in denial to fit in, but constantly paid the price for my decision with hospital admission. Asking for help for me was a sign of weakness, so I would never ask for help. Somewhere in my brain, I had convinced myself that the sequel me does not exist and I can do things without asking for help. I felt the need to prove to those around me that I am as good as anyone else and that the sickled me does not exist. Thinking of it now, I laugh at some of the silly things I did then. I remember once I had overworked myself and worried myself about a particular situation 
and eventually walked myself into a crisis. Crisis came knocking on this particular night and I was home alone with my sister. Rather than wake my sister up, I decided to call the emergency number with the little strength left in me and go downstairs to wait for the ambulance to arrive. I also managed to write a note for my sister to tell her not to worry about me and I am so sorry for being a body, but I've had to go into hospital as a result of a crisis. Of course, I wasn't thinking about how the paramedics were going to get in and the fact that a pain level could rise in a matter of minutes, which it actually did. In a matter of minutes, the pain level went up from 2 to 10. By the time the paramedic came, I could not even move to open the door and the doorbell woke my sister up. She woke up to see me whimpering downstairs and saw the flashing light of the ambulance reflecting through the window. She proceeded to let the paramedics in and had to quickly change from her nightwear to follow me to the hospital. Needless to say, my plan not to ask for help failed miserably and only upset my poor sister more, especially when she saw the so-called note I had left for her. I could share many more stories of how my not asking for help attempt failed over and over again until I finally concluded that the embarrassment for not asking for help was worse than that of asking for help. I thought I had dealt with the issue of not asking for help, but soon realized that I'd lived in denial of my reality for so long, it had started to shape the way I was thinking. Nine years ago, when I decided to learn how to drive, rather than go to a specialist driving school where they understand and teach people with a disability how to drive, I decided to use a mainstream driving school. Bearing in mind, I have bilateral hip replacement and stiffness on my hip. After about 10 lessons, my driving was just as bad as day one. Both the driving instructor and I were frustrated with one another. As far as I was concerned, I was too dumb to learn how to drive. And as far as I was concerned, he was a very bad driving instructor. One day I was so frustrated I was talking to one of the pastors in church about how I was done with learning how to drive. I shared my experience with this instructor and how he even swears at me during lessons. She went on to calm me down. She said to me, she's not condoning the swearing and I don't have to continue with him. But she just needs to ask me one question. Her question to me was, which driving school are you using? Are there specialists in teaching people with a disability? At that point, I thought to myself, why would she even think of asking me that? Why would I go to a driving school for disabled people? I'm not disabled, am I? I proceeded to answer with all the confidence I could gather and said with pride, no, it's not a disabled driving school. And I told her the name of the driving school. She smiled and calmly said, therein lies your problem. Your instructor is not trained to teach you, so you're expecting from him what he cannot give. But I'm not disabled, I responded in protest. And she said to me, you need to accept the fact of your reality. Being disabled is not the end of the world and there are many great things you can achieve. She went on to give me the website of where I can find driving instructors that specialize in teaching people with a disability. I found a driving instructor close to home and 13 lessons and 3 driving tests later, I passed my driving test. Passing my driving test was more than just another achievement. Although I really don't enjoy driving and only learned to drive because I don't fancy going on public transport with a buggy and I had to get my son to nursery and back if nothing else at all. 
The fact that by admitting I was disabled, I was able to find the right instructor made me begin to wonder how many other things I was depriving myself of just because I was living in denial. I knew I had to stop living in denial and face reality, but it was not an easy transition to make. I struggled with accepting the fact that I am disabled even after sickle cell was included in the Disability Act. The sickled me was just not someone I wanted to identify with. That was until one day when I was reading my Bible. In the book of John chapter 9, I learned about a man who was born blind. John chapter 9 verses 1 to 3 says, Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. This was like a light bulb moment for me. I don't have to live in denial. It's okay to be disabled. Me being disabled has nothing to do with me. It is for the works of God to be revealed. I began to take baby steps on the road of acceptance. I began to focus more on the things I can do without putting myself under either physical or mental stress and less on what I felt others expected of me. I began to give myself the permission to stop and rest if I needed to and do things at a pace convenient for me. The phrase, slow and steady, became my watchword. When applying for jobs, if the question, would you consider yourself disabled comes up, I would answer with a yes, as opposed to abandoning the application as I would have done in the past. In the early days of me taking these baby steps, if my application wasn't taken further, or I did not get a job after an interview, I always wondered, could it be because I admitted to being disabled? Like a baby learning to walk, this thought will make me fall. But remembering my experience with learning to drive and knowing God will be revealed in my life will make me get up and carry on. I soon gained enough confidence that it no longer bothered me at all. After all, it's best to work for a company that understands me than one that doesn't. The longer I journeyed on this road of acceptance, the more my confidence to ask for help grew. The journey to acceptance opened my eyes to life lessons that the sequeled me had taught me, but up until now, I had not realized. It is a sickled me that taught me to be resilient, to be a fighter and never give up. The sickled me taught me how to enjoy my own company. Just because I can't be out and about with everyone else doesn't mean I can't have fun by myself. I was no longer afraid to let go of relationships that could not handle the sickled me and cherish the ones that loved me for me. The sickled me taught me that no is as good as an answer as yes. I don't have to be a people pleaser because when it is all said and done, I suffer the consequences. The sickled me taught me how to pray and rely on God. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother and truly understands the pain, both physical and emotional. The sickled me taught me that I was created for God's glory. Without the sickled me, I don't think I would have learned any of these lessons. Inasmuch as it is not the most convenient way 
to learn life lessons. Definitely not one which I will have chosen, given the option. I have come to love and appreciate the seafood me, because the seafood me is what makes me who I am. The best way I can describe my feelings now towards the seafood me is in the words of Amy Bloom, you are imperfect, permanently and inevitably flawed, and you are beautiful. Thanks for joining us this week on the Disabled But Enabled podcast. Please check us out on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at Disabled But Enabled and on our website, disabledbutenabled.org. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave us a review. Feel free to tell us anything you would like to hear us talk about so we can continue to bring you fresh content. Once again, this is yours truly, Tutu Emmanuel, saying switch on the power within and see you next week.